Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show here on Thursday, February 27th. And thank you so much for tuning in with me here today. If you have any burning questions or a subject you'd like to talk more about or you just want to say hi, please don't hesitate to email me at jandreas at stingray.com or hit me up on Twitter at Jeffrey underscore Andreas. I got a good show lined up for you here today. At the end of today's show, I'm going to be speaking with the chief of the T-Kit First Nation. Earlier this week, I wrote a story talking about how the T-Kit First Nation served Savannah Specialty Plywood Products an eviction notice for its Lillooet site effective the end of March. Local union president Marty Gibbons was saying that the news came as a bit of a surprise. He says, quote, We haven't been involved in negotiations. We were aware of that for some time. SSP was attempting to renew its lease on First Nations land, but we were just informed on the weekend that bargaining had broken off and the First Nation band in question has served the company with an eviction notice effective to the end of March. Gibbons said it is really concerning because if the lease is canceled, what's going to happen? Will the company simply move the jobs to Savannah? Will they move them to Merritt? Will they just discontinue them completely? It's really very concerning. So, uh, since that conversation on Monday, the chief of the TKIT First Nation, Courtney Adolph-Jones, has come out and said TKIT Council's primary goal is to protect its lands and assets for future generations. Council does support the continued use of its land for a forestry facility. However, the community has been patiently negotiating with the federal government and facility operators for almost a decade to come to an agreement that would protect its land and allow the facility to continue to operate. The decision to give notice of eviction is part of a legal process that must be undertaken in order to ensure that its assets are protected if the facility operator chooses not to sign a lease by the end of March. So I'll be joined by Chief Adolph Jones at the end of the hour to talk more about this process, how things have gone to date, and what the expectations are moving forward now that that eviction notice has been issued. As I had said earlier, as part of this uh, sort of summary here, Marty Gibbons had uh, um, made the assumption that uh, talks had broken off, whereas um, uh, uh, Chief uh, Adolph Jones has said that that is not the case. So we'll get into all of that here later in the hour. Also on today's show, right now in Canada, betting is controlled by provincial gambling monopolies who by law are limited to parlay wagers of at least three events. Now we're talking about sports mostly here, so not surprisingly, this parlay product hasn't found much favor with the Canadian bettors who have access to infinitely wider variety of betting options at any number of internationally licensed online sports books that accept Canadian customers. Well, Canada is now set for another push for the legalization of single-game sports betting. Windsor MP Brian Massey has twice attempted to legalize single-game sports betting, once in 2012 and again in 2015, both times um, ended in the private member's bill being defeated. However, with the United States seeing continued success since legalizing sports betting, the stakes for Canada have since grown a little bit higher. And now Massey has since fully transferred control of that bill over to Kevin Waugh, who had previously co-sponsored those sports betting bills. Both Massey and Waugh will now work together to lobby members from all the respective parties on the issue. So I'll be joined next by Kevin Waugh to talk more about his private member's bill, why he thinks third time is the charm, and just what it could mean for Canada and our economy. Yes, Kevin Waugh is a conservative MP working at a Saskatchewan, and he, yeah, he is hoping to see this bill pass this time around. Billions of dollars are currently being lost by the government as a result of illegal betting, and with the movement in the U.S., I personally think it is time for Canada to take that next step. But it is a private member's bill, 
It is being brought forward by a conservative MP at a time where a liberal government has power, at a time where the subject maybe isn't at the top of everyone's mind, given things like coronavirus and rail blockades and what's going on with Wet'suwet'en. Those are all front and center. So, uh, you know, it might be a, a difficult time for this particular subject to be brought up and, and get this bill passed through. Uh, I don't see any reason why it needs to be discussed for any length of time. I think it's something that could easily just be uh, pushed through the House and then on into the Senate, and they can go from there. Um, but we'll see if that happens over the next month or so. But I will be joined by Kevin Wall after this break to kick off um, uh, to, to kick off the show and talk a little bit more about this private member's bill, why he thinks it's going to work out this time around, and uh, you know just what is different, I guess, here in time number three now in 2020. And then to kick off the back half of the show, I will be joined by the CEO of the Canadian Gaming Association to continue that conversation. So stay tuned. we got more Jeff Andrea show coming up after this, so please stick around. Uh, we'll be back after this break. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk at RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Hello and uh, welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show and thanks so much uh, for tuning in. I'm joined on the line now by uh, Kevin Waugh. He's the Member of Parliament for Saskatoon Grasswood and has introduced a private member's bill called the Safe and Regulated Sports Betting Act, which is looking to legalize single events sports wagering. Kevin, thanks so much for taking the time to join me here. Yes, good day, Jeff. How's it going? Oh, it's going well. It's going well. Um, good. And you know what? If I could bet on uh, single sporting events... I'm a big sports guy, so life might be a little bit better. So let's just kind of get into the meat of things here, Kevin. Why did you want to implement or, or put this bill on the table? Yeah, so in 2018, the United States Supreme Court struck down the federal ban on single-event um, wagering in the United States. In essence, uh, Jeff, that opened up single gaming in the United States. So 21 states right now uh, enjoy single-game betting. Another 22 have uh, the legislation on the desk. So within the next year to 18 months, I think we're going to see well over 45 states have single game betting. In Canada, legally, we cannot do it. Illegally, it is going on. We know it's going on in the gray market. Uh, there are websites like Bodog and Bet365. They generated over $4 billion alone last year, or, and we know that, plus the underground economy. So in Canada, we can only do it through Sports Select. Uh, a little over $500 million coast to coast was bet last year on Sports Select. So you can see the difference. The illegal market is by far trumping the legal market because we can't do legally single game betting. Yeah, okay, so can you kind of explain for, for some people out there who are probably not betting experts, and you, you brought up websites like Bodog and, and Sports 365, um, you know, that do sort of allow these, these single-game um, events to be bet on, um, but I guess that's not technically legal. So can you kind of explain to me and, and to the audience that's listening sort of what is legal and, and sort of you mentioned a, a gray market, right? Not a black market, but a gray market where there's sort of some indiscretion yeah. about what's going on. Um, yeah, can you just sort of explain as best you can sort of what is allowed and, and how things are being allowed to kind of work around that? I will, Jeff. Okay, so right now in Canada, uh, the only way we can bet is pull line or sports select and we can't do a single game. So if we wanted to bet on the Vancouver Canucks, well, we can, but we got to do it with two other teams. Mm -hmm. So it's called a parlay. 
So uh, for me, I'll put down $10, uh, Vancouver to win. Uh, maybe tonight I like Boston over Calgary. And uh, I like Carolina with the new 42-year-old goaltender to beat Dallas tonight. That is the only way legally in this country I can bet. Illegally on websites and through, you know, uh, let's, let's face it, the underground economy, bookies and such, you can bet single games. So I can bet the Vancouver Canucks on a single game. But that money is underground. The Canadian economy gets nothing out of the underground economy. Zero. We do get it out of ProLine and Sports Select. And I'll give you an example. In Saskatchewan, last year, they reinvested 58 or 59 million back into the province of Saskatchewan for arts and culture and sporting events. Well, we're missing out on $14 billion nationally. We're not getting a penny or a nickel out of this money. So by regulating this, I think we can really seriously put a dent into the unregulated uh, websites that we're seeing that are in the Cayman Islands and so on. And by doing this, uh, the provincial bodies have full authority, like in B.C. It'll be up to the province of B.C. to, if this passes the House of Commons and the Senate, it will be up to the provincial government then to decide if they want single-event betting. Now, I know, like, I have a lot of buddies who, who do single-game betting. Obviously, it's not uh, legal um, based on what you have just described, but they, they go about doing it. I know I have friends that are uh, sports betting analysts in the States as well, and, you know, they, they are kind of, this is their bread and butter to talk about game-by-game stats and, and what you can yeah. do, do within uh, one specific event that is taking place. Why is it, I guess, that Canada originally even decided that parlay betting was okay, but single-game wasn't? Do you have any reason? as to why one was felt like it was allowed and the other was felt like it uh, might be too detrimental, I guess, to people who might get caught up in the gambling circles? Yeah, well, it's all started with, uh, you know, for us, um, because I introduced that Safe and Regulated Sports Betting Act, it's got to get out of the Criminal Code of Canada. So right now, it's that's where the legislation is. I want that withdrawn from the Criminal Code of Canada that we can't do single-game betting. So that's what my bill speaks to. Can we remove that one line in the Criminal Code of Canada about single-game betting? So that's why it wasn't brought in. So, you know, in a case of parlays, you all know, you know, it's hard enough to pick one game. Now I'm asked to pick three or four or five in a parlay. Uh, I know the more you play on parlays, the more chance to win. But let's face it, the odds are really stacked against you in sports select because you have to have that three-game bet. So um, it's all dealing with the criminal court. Jeff, this is the third time this bill has come to the House of Commons. It actually passed in 2012. Uh, Joe Comardi got it through the House of Commons almost unanimously. I think it was unanimous, but it got stuck in the Senate, and then the election happened in 2015, so the bill died. Now, in the last parliament, the 42nd parliament, uh, Brian Massey from Windsor brought the bill out again. And this time, it didn't clear the House of Commons. It was defeated in the House of Commons, so it never even got through the House to get to the Senate. So I'm hoping third time lucky. I'm bringing out almost the identical bill. I think what's changed now is you're seeing uh, professional leagues like the NHL, the CFL, the NFL, 
Uh, in fact, the NFL is uh, right now looking for a vice president of gaming. They've accepted this. Uh, they have a team, uh, the Raiders, that will open up in Vegas this fall. The NHL have the Golden Knights there. So all of this has changed professionally. The professional leagues want aiming to be regulated. Right now, it's not regulated. And this bill will certainly regulate it on a single-game basis. And I think this is good for Canada to do this. And it's good for the economy because we're losing a lot of jobs, as specifically in southern Ontario, where you can go across the border in Michigan and in New York State and do uh, single-game betting, and you can't do it here in this country. Yeah, I, I totally agree with everything you've just sort of laid out here on the table here, Kevin. Um, what do you think, I guess, is, is the appetite for this? I mean, you mentioned the last time a private member's bill was brought forward. Uh, it passed unanimously, if not very close to. Um, like I was saying earlier, I, I know quite a few people who are involved in this already. There's clearly an appetite from the public's perspective to get in on these single-game events and want to bet on, on a gamble this particular way. Um, you know, I, I guess there might be some backlash from people who are worried about addiction issues maybe that's the only group I could see having some concern with this, yep. but um, you know, it seems like almost a, a no-brainer to me. Well, it does, but when you get into the House of Commons and the Senate, you do get some uh, rejection on this, Jeff. I think you've touched on one, harm reduction initiatives and support services. Um, you know, uh, right now in this country, each provincial uh, jurisdiction is looking after that, but can you think of some of the money that they'll get with single sports betting that they can put into the harm reduction and some of these services needed for addictions? But at the same time, each provincial jurisdiction through, through single-game betting, they're going to have more money for hospitals. We're going to have more money for schools. And, and the appetite is there. 82% of Canadians today agree with my bill single game betting it is time this has come uh, i mean all the professional leagues want it they want it regulated and that's why this bill is so important at this time we have seen the americans go forward with this since 2018 i've already said 21 states are doing it another 22 are on board Canada has to adopt this because we're getting too far behind. This is economic prosperity, I will argue, is we're going to create some jobs out of this. Whether we have sport books in this country, that is to be determined by the provincial authority. But it's time to move on on this. This is the 21st century, and we must move on. And I think I have a pretty good build, and we'll see where it goes in the next five or six weeks. Right on, Kevin. Well, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm hoping that it goes, goes through because I just think it's something that we here in Canada, um, you know, we're ready for. I think we can handle it. And uh, I, I, like I said, I think there's a lot of appetite out there for this. Anything else you want to add here before I let you go? Well, I think, Jeff, what you're seeing is even uh, Bodog and some of these Bet 365s, uh, I mean, they, some of the jerseys in professional sports have their signature on there. Uh, so, I mean, the leagues absolutely know what's going on. Uh, you know, the, and, and we just need to move this forward. I, right now, and to be honest with you, it's really hard to win in sports select. Uh, in the province of BC, we looked at their numbers. They're still steady. Uh, you know, there's over 100 million bet out of BC every year on sports select. But I can tell you out of the 100 million that's bet legally, I would say 10 times amount is bet illegally in the province of B.C. And I would think Premier Horgan 
uh, wouldn't mind this bill coming out and made, uh, you know, a time that we can move forward on single game betting so the province of B.C. can get revenue out of this and deal with the issues that they're dealing with day to day in your province. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I couldn't agree more that winning on parlays is very difficult. I don't gamble a lot, but uh, I don't think I've ever won. And I probably play a pro-line ticket three, four, or five times a year. And um, so I'm probably over 50 or something along those lines. So I would like a chance to go on a single game bet, I'll tell you that. Thanks yep. so much for yep. your time. Thanks I really appreciate much, it. Jeff. That was a Conservative MP Kevin Waugh, uh, of course, putting forward his private member's bill to uh, change the Gambling Act to allow for single event, single game sports betting, which is currently not allowed legally here in Canada. You must uh, parlay, which means you have to bet at least three events at once. Of course, that does make it more difficult to win, um, something that I'm sure many uh, the, the gambling um, uh, people who are organizing those gambling rings are happy with to see a little more losing. But, um, you know, from a public perspective and for those who are actually taking Pardon gambling, winning is better. Uh, with this being the third time, though, the bill has been presented, the last time this came through the House of Commons, there was a study done on problem gambling out of the University of Calgary. That 2016 study looked at problem gambling and what exactly it means. It found that the low-risk gambling cutoff was eight times per month and a total of $75 per month or 1.7% of income going towards gambling. So that's um, you know, looking at those numbers just by themselves, they don't seem very high. Uh, if someone that I know is betting $75 per month on sports, I would not think of that as being a problem. So if that is really the, the, the definition of problem gambling, I can understand how this could entice more people to want to get in on the action and why that might be a concern. However, I do feel that, uh, you know, the people who are gambling now are not going to, uh, you know, stop gambling if, if there is single uh, event betting available or vice versa. People aren't just going to all of a sudden take up the the hobby because you know there's one more option out there for them so i don't see any reason why this shouldn't go through but um you know of course like i said it's it's a it's a gambling issue it's an issue that has a little bit of a stigma attached to it and uh one that is going to bring forward conversation but we'll see where this bill goes over the next five weeks or so uh coming up next though i will be continuing this chat as the president of the canadian gaming association will join me so stick around we got more on gambling and single game betting and whether or not it should be legal here in canada after this your opinion Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back into the show here on Thursday, the 27th. Thanks so much for letting your ears my way here today. Uh, following up on my chat with MP Kevin Watt in the last segment where we spoke about his new uh, private member's bill that is looking to legalize the practice of single-game sports betting, something that, uh, although uh, can be done in a number of ways here in this country, is technically still illegal, and uh, that law is costing the government billions of dollars in tax revenue. Here now to speak more to the issue is the president and of the uh, Canadian Gaming Association, Paul Burns. Mr. Burns, thanks so much for taking the time here. Thank you for having me. So, yeah, what is the Canadian Gaming Association's stance on this right now? I mean, uh, you know, I was talking with uh, Mr. Waugh here in the last segment, um, and there is some concern that, uh, you know, people can't bet on uh, single sporting events. Uh, what, what is the stance from the Canadian Gaming Association on that practice? Well, we've been long advocating for this, almost 10 years now. Um, there's been previous attempts in the House of Commons to change the amend the criminal code to permit single event wagering. And the reason why is simply that Canadians um, are already doing this. Unfortunately, they're doing it in uh, 
venues or, or, or means that are illegal, uh, either through organized crime bookmaking operations or through offshore online sports books. And they're wagering significant amounts of money, um, over $14 billion um, a year through um, illegal channels. And so we're saying that federal government, please make this amendment, allow Canadians to have a safe and regulated option, and, uh, and let the economic benefits stay in Canada. Yeah, I mean, there's a significant amount of money, I'm assuming, that is being lost here, billions of dollars. I don't know if there's an exact figure that has been put to just how much revenue is is leaving the country as a result of this. But, I mean, this almost feels like something that the government should want to do, just in the sense that, uh, you know, they want to collect those those dollars. Well, that's part of it. And, too, it's, it's um, disrupting organized crime. I mean, there's uh, the, a recent report from the Canadian, uh, the, the Canadian Intelligence Service listed a whole chapter on how um, organized crime is using illegal sports betting through either through online or through bookmaking operations in communities to uh, move and launder money. And so we're saying um, this is a good step to disrupt that, give Canadians a legal regulated choice, and uh, and, and the economic benefits are, are not insignificant. Um, it's hundreds of millions of dollars being earned uh, on profits from uh, from all that wagering. Now, I mean, there, when it comes to gambling and any sort of, uh, I guess, um, you know, practice that could be considered an addictive um, um, uh, activity to be taking part in, I guess, that, you know, that's sort of the major concerns, I would assume, when it comes to something like this, is that uh, more people would get involved, and of course that would lead to uh, more situations where people find themselves in, in trouble or find themselves addicted. Um, but do you envision any way where, you know, making single-game betting would would change the way that people are, are practicing their gambling uh, habits right now? I would think that, you know, if you're not betting now, you're not going to start betting just because single-game um, options are now available. No, I think, you know, honestly, it's it's people are spending vast sums of money right now through uh, illegal channels. And Canada has some of the best responsible gambling programs in the world, programs like GameSense in British Columbia. We lead the world in, 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 in responsible gaming programs. The Hells Angels don't have a responsible gaming program. They're not out to, to in what's looking after the best interest of customers. The regulated gaming industry in Canada does. And RG programs, player education, player protection is all part of our work. It's in our DNA. It's what we do every day. And we're saying, let us have the opportunity to offer this product and give Canadians that choice. So, I mean, do you think that there has been any sort of data or maybe not data, but like what, what do you think the reasoning is as to why parlaying seems to be something that would be okay and single game is not? I, I just don't really understand, um, you know, what the reasoning behind why one would be okay and one isn't. Well, it was, it, it, it's, a, it's a very dated reason uh, at the end of the day because we've had legal sports wagering in Canada now for decades um, and almost 40 years. And so when you look at... Uh, the activity, and we say that, that people worry about whether it's fixing the outcome of a, of a match, and you can't, it's harder to do three than one. But um, the match fixing isn't a, a great concern in, in, in when we're looking at betting on sports. The reality is in regulated marketplaces, there are people watching. There are, when there isn't a regulated spot, there's nobody watching. So this actually enhances protection, enhances integrity of sport, protects athletes. All of those things that people have been looking for, and frankly, um, with technology today, it's it's there. There are lots of ways and mechanisms to to monitor betting uh, 
patterns and to protect um, betters ensuring that the, the games and offerings are fair. So what, um, I mean, do you, do you foresee this bill as it's being presented now? I mean, this is the third time it's been presented in the last uh, eight years. Um, you know, didn't uh, get met with much success in the last couple. I know it did get through the House the one time before dying in the Senate, um, but I just wonder if, if there is still that appetite from politicians to see something like this go through, especially when we're talking about a climate right now when we're dealing with a lot of other issues with you know rail blockades and things like that. This is something that's probably not top of mind for many politicians. But are you hopeful that this uh, could go through this time around and, and, and you know we can see a change to that legislation? We are very hopeful. Things have, uh, a number of things have changed since the last time. A uh, couple is that one... Sports betting uh, from the professional sports leagues in North America has become way more acceptable by them. They've actually uh, requested the change and are interested in seeing it happen. Because just over under two years ago, the United States struck down their prohibition against uh, sports wagering. And what that led is now over 20 states in the last 20 months have been able to pass legislation and bring in sports wagering, including states like Washington State, Michigan, New York, Maine, um, Montana. So there's lots of, uh, along our borders, uh, a lot of pressure. And in some parts of the country, those are uh, real competitive pressures in, in certain communities where just across the road is the United States and there's other offerings. And so for some gaming operators and gaming providers, it is a real competitive advantage to have this product. Unfortunately, we didn't get a head start, so now we got to play catch-up. So the sense of urgency is there as well. So the acceptance has gotten a lot higher amongst sporting world. Uh, the need hasn't stopped. The illegal channels still continue to grow. And so we're saying it's time now to put an end to it. Give us the legal regulated sports betting opportunities in Canada. Yeah, and, and I assume, you know, with, uh, you mentioned over 20 states already have, you know, done something like this, and another 20 more, I believe, are on the way. So uh, the majority, the vast majority of the U.S. will have uh, single-game betting in place um, in the not-too-distant future. I mean, is this a bigger issue, I guess, for border uh, cities, if you will? I know, like, southern Ontario has talked about as being sort of one of the more concerning areas for this because it is so easy just to, to hop across the border and, and, and you know, take part in um, their casinos uh, in the States, and that would probably be the same when looking at uh, places like Vancouver here in B.C. It's not that hard to just jump over the border and, and, and you know, attend a, a casino or wherever you would, would go to place these kinds of bets. Is that really, the, I guess, the biggest concern from those uh, pundits is that, um, you know, border border issues? But the, the, that's one of the concerns. And even in, in communities like Canada's, uh, in in uh, in interior of, of the province and in Alberta, I've heard from gaming operators who say, we really would like to offer this product. We know that it will help bring more patrons out to, in a sports betting and sports bar environment uh, to, to watch the game. It's a social exercise. They sell more food and beverage, bring more people into their properties. Sports wagering is not a gigantic moneymaker for, for gaming operators because it's deemed to be a much fairer bet. Most of the money gets actually returned to the better. And between 93 and 95% go back to the better and winning. So it's a fair product. That's why people like to do it, but they also like the social experience. And so for selling more food and beverage, bringing more people to the property, it's really an attractive option. It's an amenity that gaming operators across the country have been looking for. 
Well, Paul, uh, thank you so much for taking the time here today. I really do appreciate you speaking to me and, and coming on the show and, and uh, just giving the, the perspective here of the Canadian Gaming Association. It's going to be interesting five weeks to see if this private member's bill does uh, have any movement. So I'm going to be watching, and uh, we'll see what happens. But thanks so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. Right on. That was uh, Paul Burns, the CEO of the Canadian Gaming Association. Uh, yeah, just uh, reflecting on that private member's bill that has been introduced by Kevin Waugh here earlier this week, and uh, to see whether single game bets can be laid here in the future. Uh, those parlays are uh, the way to go right now. Um, just uh, clarifying, I guess, here in BC, you can uh, bet on uh, two events at least at once, but you still have to bet, from what I've seen, on at least two games in order to get your bet processed. So uh, that money that is staying in Canada, you still need to parlay it. Um, but we'll see if that changes here in the not-too-distant future. Coming up next, negotiations are ongoing when it comes to Savanaugh Specialty Plywood Products operating on the T-Kit First Nation near Lillooette. I'll be speaking with the chief of T-Kit as well as revisit a brief chat I had with the president of the United Steelworkers Union representing those at that facility. So stay tuned. That will be coming up next. to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back to the show and thanks so much for tuning in here on Thursday, February 27th. Earlier this week, there was a concern that was brought forward by the United Steelworkers Union over an eviction notice that was handed to the Savanaugh Specialty Products Facility in Lillooet. It was given until the end of March to come to terms on a new lease agreement to remain in the community. I, well, I, I caught up briefly with the United Steelworkers president, Local 1417, Marty Gibbons. He says the plant in Lillooet directly employs about 180 people, plus a number of spinoff jobs as well, and there is worry from those employees. So here's a little snippet from that conversation with Marty Gibbons. It's more than just Lillooet. It's Lillooet feeds Savannah. Savannah needs Lillooet to run, so it's it's actually quite a bit larger than just Lillooet. Um, we, we haven't been involved in negotiations. We were aware that for some time, um, Savannah Specialty Products was attempting to renew a lease uh, on um, uh, First Nations land, um, but we were just informed on the weekend that uh, this, the bargaining is broken off and, and the First Nations have served, the First Nation band in question has served the company with eviction notice effective the end of March. So did this almost come out of nowhere for you at this point in time? Uh, we didn't expect it. Um, it was a bit of a surprise for us on the weekend when we received it. Um, so yeah, it was it was rather unexpected. So what what does this mean right now moving forward? Uh, you know, obviously the the notice has been given. Are you hoping or planning to uh, get together with with uh, some some leadership here, leadership groups, and and hopefully uh, resolve this situation before it comes to that um, you know eviction point here? So, so first off, as as an organization, we recognize the importance of of Indigenous rights um, in the forest industry. Um, so, so we support Indigenous involvement in in the communities or in the forest industry. Um, this this plant here in Lillooet, um, the vast majority of workers are are of Indigenous descent, um, and we really think it's it's a really good model because unlike a lot of other employers that have chosen to shut these um, rural sites down in these communities and just truck their logs out, we're providing jobs in communities where the logs are coming from. And it's really concerning for us that, you know, if the, if the lease is cancelled, you know, what's going to happen? Will the company simply um, move these jobs to Savannah? Will the company move them to Merritt? Will they just discontinue? Um, you know, it's, it's really very concerning for us and the communities. Now, in response to that chat, I was able to speak with the chief of the Tikit First Nation. I caught up with uh, Courtney Adolph-Jones earlier this morning. 
Can you just kind of tell me uh, or take me through kind of the situation as it stands right now? How did this all uh, unfold that, uh, you know, there's this eviction notice that is now in place? Well, we've been negotiating with uh, Savina Specialty Plywood and other company Aspen for uh, nearly a decade now, ever since they um, took over the lease from uh, Ainsworth. And through the past 10 years, we've been uh, working with three parties at the time because Canada was also involved. It's now gotten to a point where we're almost 10 years down the road and we still don't have a signed lease. Our community still doesn't have surety or security on the land. And really this amounts to us just taking um, an assertive position that we must have a lease in order for operations to continue. We did issue a a 90-day notice as a preliminary measure just to say that, you know, we are very much interested in concluding these negotiations. We wanted to see a really positive resolution, and we're still hopeful that we will, but that we really needed to set a hard date to it, that we couldn't continue on. It was becoming quite costly. Um, The amount of money that we've invested into this process is quite high and um, we really needed to see a conclusion to it so we told them that we will give them until march 29th to complete the uh, negotiations and finally and then move on this 30-day notice is really just a legal measure that's in conjunction with the 90-day notice and really what this does is it just protects us in the, in the event that aspen or Savina specialty pilot decides not to sign a lease with us it's not a measure in which we want to see the mill close. We don't want to see the operations leave, but we've really been put into a situation where we um, feel that we don't have uh, other options. Now, that's not to say that um, I, I see in uh, one of the posts from the union that it said that negotiations had ceased, and that's not true. We're still uh, communicating with um, the other party and trying to find a resolution, and we're hoping to meet quite soon to continue discussion on the terms of the lease. Why has this been such a difficult process? Can you speak to why it's been so hard to to come to an agreement? In short, um, the beginning part of the negotiations were difficult because we were also dealing with Canada. Um, Canada takes the position that they are really... um, overlook any of our decisions about our land on reserve. That changed in October when our community ratified uh, a land code where we took possession of our lands and um, asserted our jurisdiction that we are the sole decision makers of what happens um, on our reserve land. So I I can say that there were other um, obstacles and certainly just Putting time and priority to this, there was, you know, a slump in the industry. I'm sure that our other party will call to you to say that that was um, an obstacle. It brought their attention other in other areas. There were a variety of issues at play, but I would say the primary one, primary one was um, Canada's involvement, and it really slowed down negotiations at the beginning. So what what is your confidence level, I guess, right now moving forward? You talked about it a little bit in your initial response, just saying, you know, you're still hopeful that you can come to an agreement. How, how hopeful are you? And I don't know if you can put that into a little more context just to say, you know, we have a month here, you have 30-day notice that's been handed down now. So there's some urgency, I would think, on the part of, of SSP to get something done. And that's obviously something that the, the First Nation here has been pushing for for some time. Um, you know, how, how hopeful, how confident are you that some agreement can be reached here now moving forward? I'm fairly confident. I 
think that, um, you know, I've spoken on the phone with the CEO and, um, you know, we're, we're working on just building a relationship. But I think when it gets to the details of the lease, I'm confident that we will find a conclusion to this. I know that it's put a scare in a lot of people, and I know a lot of people are very anxious right now. And I know perhaps there's even some feelings of resentment towards uh, my community because of the stance that we've taken. And I, I just want to assure people that this was not a decision that we came to lightly and wasn't without consideration of all the different people and stakeholders that are going to be impacted. Our primary stake, our primary uh, position has to be for the protection of our community and our members. So that's where we're working towards. We realize that there's a mutual benefit in the use of our land and we want to make sure that we continue with that mutual benefit under a legal agreement that satisfies both parties' interests. And uh, I, I do feel that we are in a position now where discussions are back open um, and ongoing and hopefully meeting what we said as soon as tomorrow where we can um, further these discussions and find a resolution and finally assign leave. I'll get you out of here on this, Chief Courtney, just because, uh, you know, you mentioned there um, your last comment, just talking about how some people, you know, are, are quote-unquote resentful of uh, the stance that's been taken right now. And, you know, there's a lot of concern from from uh, employees and families that are, uh, you know, um, working at this facility. Uh, but, but you know, your release talks about here just that you do recognize the employment benefits that come with this kind of facility. And, um, you know, it doesn't sound like you're, you know, trying to force anyone out here. You're just trying to come to a peaceful resolution and get a lease agreement signed. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about the employment benefits to the community and what, um, you know, having SSP around uh, sort of does for you? So uh, our community members uh, have employment at the mill. Uh, there's roughly half a dozen. Um, and then I guess secondary jobs, there, there's a few that are attached to that um, related to the work that's done at the mill. Uh, the surrounding communities, we have six uh, northern stallium communities in total. And um, there is employment opportunities, uh, not only just directly at the mill, but in um, related to jobs that uh, are attached to work at the mill. And of course, just the surrounding community, we're not neglectful of our observation that, you know, the impact is going to be huge to the surrounding community. And I'm sure that there'll be people if the mill decides to shut down and leave there will be people that will have to face some really difficult decisions and possibly have to relocate from home. Our hope is, is that if the mill does leave, that we will be able to develop and pursue other operations in that area. So I'm hopeful that the employment opportunities will stay, but I'm also hopeful based on the reassurance from the District of Lillooet that we can also find other opportunities in our area to move forward. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. All right, thank you. That was the chief of the Teakit First Nation, Courtney Adolph-Jones. Now that union is set to meet with employees at the Savannah Specialty Plywood Lillooet facility tomorrow, and it will be interesting to see kind of what develops with that situation over the next month. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I'd like to thank all my guests for joining me, and of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here on Friday at 9.